Uh, well, welcome, everybody. We're in the book of Exodus, and we're in a series that we are trudging through um, delightfully, and I hope you've enjoyed so far uh, the time that we've had. There's a ton in here. These ancient texts are amazing, amazingly thick, amazingly rich. And even in the series that we've been uh, doing through Genesis and now through Exodus, we are in many ways just scratching the surface of the multiple facets that are found in here. We hope that as you've journeyed with us, uh, that these words truly bring you life, bring you a whole nother sense of what it means to be a person of faith and a person of spirituality. And today, we're going to dive into one of the most intimate passages, I believe, in the entire scriptures. We gather together as a church in this service, and Christians gather all over the world in church services on days like Sunday and sometimes midweek to study, to celebrate, to worship, to sing. But ultimately, in all of those expressions, what are we trying to do but glimpse a little bit more of who this God is, to learn a little bit more of who this God is, to discover a little bit more of who this God is, to be transformed a little bit more by who this God is. And this passage that we're going to get today in Exodus chapter 3 is the one place where God specifically reveals his name. And it doesn't get much more intimate than this. So we'll pause at the end for questions and responses as we've done before. But if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go to Exodus chapter 3. And we'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 11. All the way through 15. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. We'll stop our reading there and figure out our way through this particular passage. This is my name. All right, let's dig in. First thing you need to know is this is what it looks like. When Moses asks of God, who shall I say sent me? God replies, Echyeh, Asher, Echyeh. Now, this will be a lot of fun. I don't know if you've ever spoken the name of God out loud before in this particular way, but let's all give this a try together so that you can have the very name of God on your lips and through your breath. Let's say this all together. Echyeh. Asher Echyeh. Echyeh, Asher Echyeh. Now, translated in this particular Bible is, I am who I am. It's a very common translation, something that we've known. Later on in that passage, 
he says, Ehya has sent me to you. And then he says, this is what you're to say to the Israelites, the Lord. Now, if you notice in your Bibles, for those of you who are new or uh, interested in the study, whenever you come to the name Lord, L-O-R-D, but the word is in all capitals, the L is usually a little bit bigger and the O-R-D is a little bit smaller, but they are capital letters. What you're looking at there is this word right here, which is the divine name of God. So the phrase, asher the, the, the phrase that means I am what I am, or I am who I am, is then truncated, is then shrunken down, or is then encapsulated in this word, yod he vav he, or actually yod he wa he, which is where we get this phrase, Yahweh. And this is what it sounds like. Anybody been to a YouTube concert recently? There was a blog post recently um, after this album came out of YouTube that said, there goes Bono making up words again. And I thought that was a really fascinating commentary. Uh, So that's how it's traditionally known and how it's traditionally said. Now, there's a ton of things that we could say about this. Uh, First, that the letters are Yod, He, Wa, Hey, there's four of them. In biblical scholarship, it'll be known as the Tetragrammaton. It's the four-lettered name of God. It's the very divine essence and a revelation of God. Uh, This word, this name, shows up over 6,000 times in the Hebrew Bible. And this name is so important and so central to the identity of the history of our faith that names have been written, names have been created with portions of this divine name in them. Does anybody know the name Elijah? El for God and Yah for the first portion of Yahweh. So El, the Elohim, the creator God is Yahweh or Yahweh is the creator God. You have a name by Uriah in the story of David uh, where he takes Uriah, Uriah, and he sends him to the front lines because he was the husband of Bathsheba, of whom David slept with. And so sending him to the front lines would commit uh, essentially murder. And it's fascinating, and I think the name Uriah is there because Uriah, or Yah, the light of God. David essentially sends the light of God to his death, which is an tragic commentary on David's life at that particular time. 
Obadiah means servant of God. Azariah and Hananiah. You might know the three wonderful men as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But don't forget their original Hebrew names of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And Azariah means God is my help. And Hananiah is God is my graciousness. And then, of course, the word that we use all the time, which is, I think, the, one of the only words in the world languages that is the exact same in multiple languages, hallelujah, which is to praise God, literally, to worship or to celebrate and praise Yahweh. This is this name that we're studying today, that we're getting to, is the most intimate way of describing this God that we love, that we have fallen in love with, that has transformed our lives. This is it. This is where we get deep and intimate, and it's spread all throughout the scriptures. So let's share a couple things about this name, and specifically the phrase, Echyeh Asher Echyeh, to see if we can uh, learn a little bit more and discover a little bit more and have some of that insight transform us. The first thing you have to recognize, in, in this particular passage, no one names God except God alone. And the reason for that is because in the ancient world, in the ancient biblical times, to name something is to have authority over somebody. How many of you parents named your children? Because you are authority over them. That's right. It is your place and position over them. And if you have a name from a parent, that means that by them giving your uh, name to you, they have by that action described their authority. If anybody remembers from our Genesis series, what does Adam name in the garden? He names all of the animals. Why? Because Adam, humanity, is to have authority and dominion over all of creation. And fascinatingly enough, this is a little bit of a side note, when Adam is split into two and a part of his side comes out and becomes a woman, Adam calls this new creature woman, but absent from that phrase is, and that was her name. That phrase in Genesis? Absent. In other words, there may be something specifically going on there regarding Adam and Eve, woman and man, being equal without the hierarchy of authority. Now that goes on to all sorts of other stuff. Okay, so, so anyway, no one names God. God is the authority alone. And so when Moses is asking God, who shall I say? Or better yet, what Moses says is, when the Israelites ask me who is sending me, they are asking for something deeply profound about who this person is, the authority that comes with it. And in many ways, depending upon how you read this passage, it's a little bit audacious. I was in a, um, I wouldn't say a confrontation, I was at a soccer game, and for those of you who know me, I played tons of soccer and really into uh, the World Cup, anyway, all that stuff. And I was at the King's Academy where I teach, and there was a soccer game going on, and there was a ref there, and I was standing on the sidelines, and I'm doing what anybody should be doing, heckling the ref. So, um, <laughs> It wasn't, I wasn't necessarily calling him particular names or anything like that. Or just, but I was just saying, and I was, you know, from the side, was, no, that's not offside. Oh, what are you kidding? No, no, it's clearly there. No, it should have been going the other way. So I'm standing on the sidelines and just giving this ref uh, a hard time, but not directly. I'm just talking, you know, I'm just talking loudly so that the ref can hear me. So anyway, I'm having this, this uh, conversation um, to, with myself and my friends. Uh, anyway, halftime comes, and the ref comes walking over and he go, and you can tell he's really upset and ticked off. 
And he says, so where do you ref? Uh, I wanted to say in the Major League Soccer League, but that would have been a lie. So I didn't. I said, well, I don't ref anywhere. I just play. It's like, um, and he was just, you know, upset at me. And if I'm honest, I own it. Okay? I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be a big man. I'll own it. As he was having this conversation with me, I was recognizing that it was just going to escalate. And my social prowess kicked in. I have no social prowess. <laughs> For those of you who know me, none. And I just simply said, what's your name? That's all I asked. What's your name? And as soon as I asked that question, what do you think happened with that particular guy? How dare you ask for my name? You don't know that part of me. And my extension to him in saying, what is your name, is just simply, let me get to know you outside of this confrontation that we're having right now because it's high school, okay? Calm down. Uh, what is your name? And he just didn't want to give to So I just asked him, what is your name? And he said to you, what is your name? I said, my name's Kevin. What is your name? We did this three times. And finally, he gave me his name. We shook hands. I said, my apologies. I understand that I was, and I, I did the whole thing and said, you're doing a great job. But in that particular moment, the exchange of a name was to bring the relationship to a different level in that particular place. To ask for somebody's name, whether it be a blind date, whether it be an introduction to a, a new job, is to bring the relationship into a whole other level. I, for those of you who have ever worked in the service industry or, or worked in a ministry as I have, you know that knowing people's names is huge. And if you've ever worked with kids, young people, you know, do, do you remember my name? Do you remember my name? <laughs> Trying really hard. I got like 935 students here. <laughs> Let me go down the list. The name is an invocation of something powerful and deep in that relationship. And so when Moses is asking for the name, what he's asking for is a new level of authority, a new level of relationship, a new level of intimacy. That's why this passage is so powerful. What name shall I give to the Israelites to say that it's not just God. God is just such a, some, some sort of generic, theological, distant kind of a word. What is his name? And for you to know the name of God is to know something deep, something profound, something intimate, something relational, something far more transformative than just simply the word God. That is, that, that has a whole other history um, for where that word came from. Several people have suggested that the word yod Hey wah Hey actually means the source of all being. It actually comes from a root word which means to be. And so it's the essence of being. And so the, the word yod Hey wah Hey, the idea of Yahweh is that which all things have come into being. You are here because of Yahweh. The coffee is here because of Yahweh. The music is here because of Yahweh. The love and the relationship and the intimacy is here because of Yahweh. Everything that we experience, everything that we know, everything that is in this world comes from this name. It's also been known as the one who is the great I am. So in addition to being, uh, being the idea that all things have emanated from God, it's also the idea that God himself is. 
with all of the deep philosophical frameworks that come with being, essence. If you were in philosophy, I would use the word ontology. Who is this God? Now, there's another thing that's fascinating about this. The phrase ehye asher ehye has absolutely no gender to it. And so even though some derivatives of this name have masculine implications, and God is used in the masculine sense throughout the scriptures, the exact phraseology, is just I, non-gendered. So that's interesting, and that's, I think, important to also say. Now, Jewish mystics have suggested that if you take a look at the construction of these letters, Yod, Hey, wa, hey. They are breathing letters. Breathing letters. And the idea behind that is that every single one of you, in fact, if you were to take a breath in right now and release it, you cannot take a breath without saying a portion of God's name. And what is the very first thing that you do when you come into this world, when the doctor spanks you on the bottom? The first thing you do is you breathe in and out. Breathing In and out is the very essence of what it means to be emanated from this divine creator. And you cannot take a breath without uttering a portion of God's name, which is a very beautiful, mystical way of thinking about your life. And when you die, when you take your last breath, and unfortunately I've actually been in the room when when somebody has passed away, and it's very scary at times, But oftentimes people go, (sighs) and then no more. So when you're born into this world, you breathe the breath of God, and when you depart this world, that breath has left you. So that's a beautiful, mystical way of thinking about your life. Your life right now, every breath you take, every move you make, um, every move you make, I'll be watching you, which is totally different theology. But, <laughs> but every breath you take, you are so close. The divine presence of God is already within you. So much, uh, oh gosh, this is, I'm getting on a tangent, but so much of our conversation around theology and who God is is so heady. And this is just, God is already there present within you. Now, again, tons could be said. This name is really, really important from a Jewish perspective, so much so that you don't write the name of God out. If you've ever read Jewish literature, you will often write G-D or L-R-D so that you're not actually writing the name of God, because what if you wrote the name of God out on a piece of paper and then you threw it in the trash? That would be a violation of the second commandment. So there are all these traditional ways of honoring and respecting uh, the name. The name, instead of being spoken or uttered as a result of honoring the second commandment, has become known as, rather than Yahweh, simply the name. Uh, We find this in our New Testament in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Every time you see that, um, it's a euphemism for that divine name of God, the name. Now, a a little bit of a side note, where does this come from? Shem, if you remember, Noah has three sons. For those of you who remember this back story from Genesis, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, or Japheth. Ham means hot, 
Japheth means beautiful, and Shem means name. He had a hot, beautiful name is what he had. Uh, Hot, beautiful name. Um, The word for Semitic comes from Shem because it is the descendants of Shem that ultimately become the Israelites. So Semitic is essentially to be of the name. And so I have opined that what does it mean to be anti-Semitic then? Is to be against the name. As a result of honoring and respecting this name, this phrase, yod Hey wa Hey, is then therefore replaced in your Bibles, oftentimes, with the word Adonai, which simply means Lord, my master. Now, this is a little bit of a side note, but something I thought you might be interested in. If you take a look at the vowels, in order to remember when you're reading the scriptures that you don't say the divine name because you want to honor and respect it, but you want to say Adonai instead, the ancients took the vowels of the word Adonai and put them over the the consonants of the word Yahweh. And then if you move later on through the centuries to German scholarship, you replace the J and the W with, excuse me, you place the Y and the W with the J and the V, and this is where we get the word Jehovah. Now, the problem is Jehovah is not how anybody ever said this name except in recent years, since about the 13th century or so. So I'm terribly sorry to disappoint any of you. This is not how the name is actually said. It's a very, very, very late misunderstanding of the vowel pointings on the name. I will take your emails later. Okay, so so let's go back to this. What I'd like to share with you Briefly, again, there's so much more that could be said. If you just type this in, there's tons that's been written because this is such a beautiful and in-depth uh, and powerful passage. Echia, asher, echia. What are some things that we can take away, at least for this moment? The traditional translation of this phrase, I am what I am, um, has often been thought of as well as I will be who I will be or I will be what I will be. And this is important. Because the phraseology to translate this phrase, I am what I am, in our minds is going to invoke a connotation that describes this beautiful, powerful essence of who God is. It's describing an objective reality of who God is. But the phrase, if you read it carefully, Echia, Asher, Echia, is really, I will be who I will be. I will be what I will be. In other words, this phraseology, this answer to Moses is a futuristic answer. It's not a description primarily of the very characteristics and definitions of God. It is a future, moving, dynamic response. In other words, and especially in light of what Moses says, who shall I say sent me, God is going to say, you know what? I am just going to be who I will be. Tell the people, I will be what I will be. As we are moving forward through this story that we are going to continually get through in Exodus, as we get to the Exodus itself, as we get to the 10 plagues, as we get to Mount Sinai, God will be what he will be. He will be who he will be. It is a future telling. 
the other way of thinking about it is, is the definition or the phraseology, the word there, a static definition of God, or is it a dynamic one? And I will tell you that if you read it in the depths of the poetic uh, narrative story that's crafted here, this word is extremely dynamic. The name of God is dynamic. It's forward-moving. Moses says, but what about this? God says, but I will then be with you here. Yeah, but what about this? And God says, I will do this for you here. And Moses says, but what about this? All of this exchange is all about how God is moving forward with Moses. This is forward, future. I will be what I will be. What about this? God responds, okay, I will be this to you in this situation. I will be that to you in this situation. It's an extremely dynamic, beautifully fluid, relational way of being. Not just the static definitions of God. Now, this is extremely important. I hope I'm not getting too terribly scholastic here. This relationship that Moses is forming, that the Israelites are forming with this dynamic God, moves deep throughout the centuries, from this time all the way down through the scriptures. And we don't have time, obviously, to get through the entire Bible. As it moves forward, this dynamism, that the people do this and God responds, the people do this and God responds, and the people move into a new time and a new era and God responds, and the people become a different kind of people in a new place and God responds. This dynamism is what is going to characterize this relationship and this movement and how people hear, understand, and perceive God. We move into this new place, and God is there. He will be with us even there. God will be what he will be in these new fluid dynamic situations. Does that make sense? He's going with us. We li- Oftentimes we ask the question, but did God say anything about subject X, like genetic theory? Well, we don't have anything like that in the scriptures. God will be what he will be even as we move into this year. Did God say anything about robots? <laughs> well, no. Did God say anything about in the Bible about artificial intelligence. We, as a people, are moving into new eras, new times, new places. And this phrase, I will be what I will be, I will be who I will be, means that God, this idea of God, can move with us into these places. And I will be God even in the midst of artificial intelligence. I will be God even in the midst of Google self-driving cars. I will be God even in the midst of smartphones that totally make you dumb. I will be God even in the midst of this. God is dynamic. And this is what happens, because if you take a look at Israelite culture, they are going through massive cultural change. For those of you who have been with us for a while, you you know about the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Persians. They're going through all sorts of crazy things. Somewhere along the line, these people, through this dynamic, God will be what he will be. He will be who he will be. Begin, they begin to write this stuff down and say, you know what, we experienced this dynamic Yahweh God here in this place, in this time, and they wrote it down, and they said, you have got to remember this. This is really, really important. These relationships, this experience that we're having, let me tell you about who this God is, and they wrote it down. Later on throughout history, another person shows up in the name of Jesus, And these people of faith 
when they looked at Jesus, if you read carefully, they're not quite sure what's going on, who this person is, what is his agenda, how he's really going to bring the peace of God to this earth. But then they realized, wait a second, this, this person Jesus, is that dynamic, moving, amazing God right here in the flesh. They all of a sudden awoke. He did it again. And even though they may not have necessarily expected God to show up in the way that Jesus shows up, I will be what I will be. I will be who I will be. New time, new place, new era. In other words, this whole thing that you and I are on is full of surprises. That we think that God works one way, and then all of a sudden you discover God's going to be exactly who he's going to be in this new time, in this new place. I wish I could make you read this entire book. Harvey Cox wrote The Future of Faith. When I read it, I could not tell you, there, there are some books that just well up within the capillaries of my body, and this is one of them. Describing this movement, here's just an excerpt. The faith of the early Christians combined that of the Old Testament with the Christmas story, the idea that God has come incarnate. The other accounts of Jesus' life and the Passion and Easter story. So they're taking all this into account and putting it together with the God of the Old Testament, the Echia Asher Echia. Their faith took the form of a loyalty to Jesus rather than Caesar and a hope that the new world of Shalom Jesus personified would one day appear in its fullness. They lived their faith in fellowships that, even amid fierce persecution, needed neither creeds nor clergy. Let's give you an insight. Here's what happens. But by the time Constantine became emperor, much of that original lifestyle had already begun to erode. Hierarchy had begun to replace fellowship and belief to replace faith. Now, here's what he's saying. This dynamic, I will be what I will be, began to move into the world. And all of a sudden, this relationship with God, as Christianity grew and emerged throughout time, throughout the most recent centuries of this era, there was a prioritization that shifted from this relationship, dynamic, covenant, I'm worshiping this God, and God is going to be whoever he's going to be, no matter where we go and how we move forward. And that was replaced with a belief in God. The things that you have to categorize, the things that you check off, the things that you say, this is what God is, and if you don't believe that, then you don't know God. And this is what God is, and if you don't believe that, then you don't know God. And this is what God, in other words, what he began to emerge on the scene is something that's called systematic theology. Now, I don't want to say that systematic theology is bad. Please hear me. I'm not saying that. I want you to understand the dynamic of what's going on with this name and what we have inherited. Some people suggest that systematic theology began to emerge out of this guy from the 8th century, and uh, it kind of looks like this. There's some really big words, anthropology, Christology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, soteriology, eschatology. These are all words to describe all of the different ways in which we are now discovering who this God is, and all the checkboxes of what is and what is not Orthodox Christianity. And the whole agenda of systematic theology, which emerges out of this development, is to make 
our understanding, orderly, rational, and coherent, it all makes sense. It all is put together. It, this fits with that piece, and this fits with that piece, and everything is lined up, and we can identify it and define it. The problem with this is that it turns this amazingly dynamic Moses who shall I say sent you? I will be what I will be. Now let's go discover what I will be together into a system, a method, a process. It turns it into something quite honestly stale at times. Something that you have to make sure that you know exactly. And if you don't know those things, then somehow you're outside. And I know many of us in this room and many of us listening to this talk have experienced something like this. Uh, all the way up into the 13th century, a guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas decided... Now, let's take all of that and put it together in a book. So he wrote this. The whole idea, the whole agenda, the whole purpose, especially in recent years, means this. Please keep this God clean and orderly. Now, I want to say clearly, having definitions... Describing who God is in abstract terms is not a bad thing. I think I would be foolish to say so, knowing that there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people in this world that study this deeply, love it deeply, care about it. And by the way, fits with what I'm saying that God will be what he will be. What I am simply saying is this. Let us not forget that this fundamental definition of who God is, the very revealing of his name in Exodus 3 to Moses, comes in the context of a dynamic covenant relationship where God doesn't give Moses a very clear definition of who God is. He gives him a relational answer. I will be what I will be. I will be who I will be. Moses says, oh yeah, but what about this? I will be what I will be there. Oh, what about this? I will be with... Moses finally says, would you just please send somebody else? I will be with you. The NIV Study Bible, in a comment on this note, says, the name that expresses his character as the dependable and faithful God who desires the full trust of his people. It's a beautiful little comment. But if read through the lens of systematized thinking... This could simply be functional. This is just who God is. But hopefully we now read this also through a covenantal lens, through the idea that you, every single one of us, breathe in and breathe out this beautiful breath of God. And as you journey into your life, as you walk out these doors and on Monday you go to work and you now have to discover a new journey, you have new experiences, you discover that God is going to be who God is even there. Another way to describe uh, a God that will be who God will be is the word spirit, wind, breath. The wind comes and it goes, and where it blows, nobody knows. Where it comes from, where it goes. And all of us in this room have access to this amazing, revealed God who will be what he will be, who will be who he will be, wherever that wind takes us. 
two things I want to share with you, and then we'll conclude. There's two different ways of understanding everything that I've said and what this is going to mean for you and your faith journey. The first is, God gives this answer to Moses to comfort him, essentially. To simply say, don't worry. You have questions about who you, what's going to happen. You have questions about how this is going to work out. I will be with you. I will be what I will be. I will be who I will be. In other words, the very person that you know me to be, the very God that you know me to be, full of love and compassion and justice and mercy, I will be that to you, with you, for you, in the midst of this new liberation, in the midst of this confrontation to Pharaoh, in the midst of this challenge and this struggle. So I will be what I will be. You know this about me. Don't worry. As a father, as a mother, loves and cares for their child. I will be that. So some of you here, I hope you hear that the name of God, the Ahyeh Asher Ahyeh, the God that will be who he will be, is going to be that for you, to you, with you. That God of love, of compassion, mercy, the one who comes and cares, wraps God's loving arms around you. He will be that. That's one takeaway that I hope you take. And the second is this. I've had multiple conversations with myself as well as others in which our spiritual journey, our understanding of God, has been hindered or challenged because we've heard a definition of God that doesn't seem to sometimes make sense. Uh, from a church experience that we've had, from a televangelist, from a book that we've read, and we've had these definitions, and we've had this concept, and we've had this understanding of God, and then all of a sudden what happens? You take a trip. And you discover that that definition of God doesn't work here. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. Or you discover something new. You get into science or technology, and you start to understand the ins and the outs of this amazing world, and that definition of God just simply didn't work in that same way, or you read something, or maybe you had a conflict, and that definition of God that you've been carrying with you, that very clear understanding, systematized way of God is this, God is that, God is this, God is that, no longer worked. It didn't fit, and especially now in this particular world, which is going to open up a whole bunch of conversation in which the plurality of religions in this world is causing major questions and inquiries. And all of these things, just some of our upbringing, some of our definitions, just doesn't fit in the same way. To Moses' inquiry, which may be yours. But what about this? But what about that? But what if? But I'm wondering if you've experienced that paradigm shift or that tumultuous spiritual journey where that definition of God doesn't fit, and it's causing some complications. To that, God is going to say, I will be what I will be. Even here, even now, even in this place, even in this journey, I will be. I will be what I will be. And so as you walk out these doors, as you go into the next day, and as you experience something new, this amazing divine God that is revealed through this tradition in these scriptures will be that God there and there and there and there and there and all around the world.
God will be what he will be. And wherever we are, God will be that to us. And that's a beautiful starting point for a dynamic, intimate, fluid, often strange and confusing relationship with Ehye Asher Ehye. Any questions? The Echia, Asher Echia, is the phrase that God originally says when he says, Tell them Echia, Asher Echia has sent you. Later on, I can't remember exactly what verse it says, The Lord. I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and Jacob. This is my name. And so the phrase and the name, the, the four-letter name of God, Yahweh, are equated in that sense. In other words, the yod heh vav the four-letter word of God, Yahweh, is a representation or a symbol or a shortened version of the full phrase. That's how many interpret it, anyway. I'm sure there's others. Yeah. Yes. And let's close in prayer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the question is, does it give God license to change? I think I'm struggling with the phrase, give God license. Uh, just simply because I don't know if the identification that God gives to uh, himself, which is, I don't even like saying the word himself, you know. But anyway, it's, it's I think, the best we can do in English right now. I don't think the definition gives God license. I think it's just simply a descriptor, a descriptor that God actually does. Now, what I just said is going to cause a lot of discussion, especially for those of us who've come from different backgrounds. But there is hints in the Hebrew Bible that God wants to do one thing, we intervene, and he does something different. And this, that dynamic relationship, I think, is lost in some traditions of Christianity. And that's why part of what we're trying to do is recapture what was the original essence. Now, it may very well be that we need to fall back into line that, yes, God does exactly what he does. But um, I don't know if it gives God license, but I think it describes this beautiful dynamic relationship that we have. So, yes. The, yeah, the reason why gender is assigned is because he, she, uh, have gender naturally imbued into the linguistics of the language. And so when you describe God um, and you say, and you want to use a pronoun to refer to God, you have to use a gendered pronoun. Uh, well, it's Hebrew and English. I mean, um, yes, in the Hebrew scriptures, God is referred to in a male sense. Also, God is referred to as father. And this is made 
clear through the patriarchal nature of the Hebrew scriptures and the context in which that emerges. So it's, um, I, as far as when did it get assigned, I, that's something I'd have to look into a little bit further. So, Okay, last question, then we'll close because I'm, I'm totally late. It's my fault. Kwame. Right. So, which is kind of cool that God would do that. Right. Um, but then, then it says, okay, then at what point, uh, why is there an argument, I guess, about that statement and how we deal with the word? Like, what, why did you, you know, you, you were specific in, in saying that statement. Yeah. Like, why did you feel that was. Why did I feel it was important to state that the phraseology is non gendered? Uh, because I think the gendered identity with God is almost accepted within our language and within the way we talk about God. Um, and so part of, uh, part of the attempt to disrupt us a little bit is to point out those things and to cause us to maybe think a little bit differently about it. So let me close. God, thank you so much for being whoever you are. And may we just enter in to this dynamic relationship with you and discover once again more of who you are. Be with us as we depart this place uh, and that you will be exactly what you will be as we move forward into this world. And I pray in your name, amen.